Um, we're going to have the reading now. Um, so if you can take your Bibles, the reading is Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, um, to chapter 4, verse 1, and that can be found on page 1184 in the Red Bibles. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you also must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. My name is uh, Richard. If we haven't met, one of the ministers here. And uh, let's... Uh, face up to that elephant in the room, if you were dozing off this evening, you might have perked up as uh, Ruth read, wives, submit yourself to your husbands, children, obey your parents in everything, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, that might have caught your attention. And I guess if it did, you might be at uh, somewhere along a spectrum. At one end, you're hoping that I wouldn't notice that was there, we could all sort of politely ignore it, pretend nothing happened and move on. That ship sailed. Uh, the other end of the spectrum, 
It might be you're hoping we could talk about that a lot, maybe because you find it interesting, maybe you find it irritating, or a stronger word than that. Uh, Maybe you think it's important for us to talk about. You'd love us to spend the evening on it. We're not going to do that either. Uh, There are 26 verses before us. We want it to be done before breakfast. And uh, so it's at the end of the passage. We'll get there at the end of the sermon. Uh, But I just thought I'd mention now, I have noticed that they're there. Um, If if you'd like to uh, think more about those verses in particular, uh, three things that might... Uh, help you. Uh, one is, uh, a few years ago, Paul preached uh, a couple of sermons just on, well, in Ephesians, but the parallel passage to this, two sermons just on those sort of couples, uh, wives, husbands, children, parents, uh, slaves, masters. Uh, you can find those on the website, email the office, we can send you the links if you'd like to listen to those. Or do come and talk to someone, if that'll be helpful. Uh, any of us who work here, if we get an email that says, uh, dear, whoever it is, Richard, Sarah, Paul, uh, I'd like to talk with you about the Bible. Uh, we'll normally drop most things to, to do that. We'd love to chat. Uh, thirdly, uh, next week after the uh, evening sermon, we've got uh, food through there like usual, but we'll have a, a Q&A time, a chance to ask questions about anything that's come up from the uh, Colossians series that we've had. Next week's our last week in Colossians. And so if there are questions from this, uh, then uh, by all means come and ask them. Or uh, this evening there's a question box through there, a big shiny pink thing. If you want to put a question in, then... Um, That'll get addressed next week. Uh, that's if you want more. We'll get to those verses, uh, but we've got some, some other verses to get through first. Uh, let's pray as we start properly. Our Father, as we've said, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Father, we thank you that this is your word to us. Uh, in the passage of we rejoice in, And two, in those passages where slightly through gritted teeth we say, thanks be to God. We thank you that this word is a life-giving word, a word that makes wise, a word that refreshes, a word that gives joy, a word that shows Christ. And so please help us, as Manny prayed earlier, to set our minds, to set our hearts on the things described here, that we would be changed a little more into his likeness. Amen. How do we change? How do we change? If you're here this evening, uh, a Christian or not a Christian, I imagine that's a question you've considered before. Uh, Some uh, habit, some characteristic of yourself, some behavior that you'd love to be different, you'd love to change, and maybe you've tried in the past, and maybe for a while things have changed and you felt yourself slipping back, or maybe it just feels impossible. This area of my life would ever change. How do we change? Particularly as Christians, we're thinking, how do we change in obedience to Christ, to follow Christ, to become more like him? How do we change? And in Colossians 3... Well, the answer will be no surprise if you've been here at the last few weeks on Sunday evenings. In Colossians, we've been saying, uh, Paul is urging us, persuading us that we are complete in Christ. If you have him, you have everything. We have fullness, completeness in him. And Paul's answer in Colossians 3, how do we change? We need Jesus. And if you have Jesus, then we have all we need. 
if we have Jesus, we can change. It all starts at verses 1 to 4. Verses 1 to 4 are the, the heart of this. They're the hub, the engine. You see, just at the beginning of verse 5, put to death, therefore. Uh, this uh, passage it sort of falls into two uneven halves. Verses 1 to 4, how do we change? From verse 5, well, therefore, here are some areas of life where Paul will call for change. Verses 1 to 4 are key to understand what's happening in all of this chapter. How is it that we change? Verses 1 to 4 would say, we need to know who we are. We need to know who we are. We read from verse 1, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. See, he's talking about literally a, a mindset, set your minds, a heart set on things above. He's saying, consider these things, ponder them, daydream about them, imagine them. What is he talking about? When he says things above, set your heart, set your minds on things above, what are those things? It's going to be important uh, that we understand that, to understand this chapter. Just have a look. Verses 1 to 4, if you've got it in front of you. What things does Paul tell us in those verses are above? Obviously, in verse 1, there's Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. But Paul says things above. Not just one, not just one person. Of, of course, set your hearts and minds on Jesus. And hopefully this letter of Colossians has helped us to do that. But he says things. What are the things which are above? Verse 3, it is us. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ is above. And we are above. Those of us who are Christians, Paul would say, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so set your minds, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds, set your hearts on who you really are. Paul says there's a life which is who you really are, which you can't see. When you look in the mirror, when you observe your life, you see all kinds of failures and disappointments and inabilities to change. But Paul says that isn't all you are. That isn't who you really are. Verse 3, for you died. And verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. You have a new life, but it's one that you can't see. Verse 3, it is hidden with Christ in God. If you could see it, if we could see who it is that God has made us to be, the new life that we have in Jesus, it would blow us away. You can't see it. It is hidden with Christ in God for now. One day, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One day, each person who is a Christian will appear in glory will finally, completely, perfectly be changed. We'll be what we are made to be. We'll be like Jesus Christ. And Paul says, 
that is who you are now. Verse 3, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The, the hidden life, the life of perfection, the life which will one day appear, you are now alive to that. Now, you don't expect to be perfect now. This letter will be very clear on that. We grow into it. One day it will be complete. But our future, the perfection that will one day appear, that is what defines us now. What you see in the mirror is not who you are. What you are is who you are in Christ. And Paul says, because you can't see it, because it's hidden, because it's hard to believe, set your minds, set your hearts on things above. Time spent pondering who I am in Christ what it will look like when one day I appear with him in glory and all of the sin and all of the failure and all of the disappointment is stripped away. Consider that. Ponder that. Set your heart and your mind on who I am in Christ. Because your past doesn't define you, your present doesn't define you, your future, which is Christ, defines you. Set your heart, set your minds on things above. Know who you truly are, someone who is alive, someone who has been changed, who will appear in glory. And so someone now who can change, who can grow in Christ. It begins with knowing who we are. What you see in the mirror isn't who you are. It is our future that defines us. And so, verse 5, there's, there's a therefore. Because of that, Paul says, how does life change? And there's three areas he gives us. At verse 5 to 7, sex life. Verses 8 to, what is it, 17, church life. Verses 18 to 4, verse 1, family life. Know who you are. Let your future define your sex life, your church life, your family life. We'll take those in turn. Verse 5 then. Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. If we had time, we could think about the, the different things in that list and quite how they distinguish from each other. Uh, the headline, though, is there at the beginning, put to death sexual immorality. Uh, idolatry, often associated in the Old and New Testaments with sexual immorality, that's why it's there. The thrust of this verse is put to death sexual immorality. And why does Paul start with sex? Is it because Christians are just obsessed with sex and always want to talk about it? I don't think it is. There's one verse here where he talks about sex. Verses 10, where he talks about how the church relates together and loves each other. I don't think he's obsessed with it. Why does he start with it? I wonder if it's because sexual things are one of the areas where it feels impossible to change. For the person who is mired in internet pornography... For the person who for weeks, months, years has been fooling around with, has been sleeping with someone they're not married to. For the person who finds at their eyes just constantly roving around the offices, noticing that person's body, that person's body, that person's body. It can feel so deeply baked into us. I, I can't change. I can't give this up. Maybe, maybe I've tried before. 
and failed. Maybe I've tried before and for a while there was success and it felt like freedom and then suddenly there's a relapse and right back into the middle of it. Can we really change? Paul would say you can. Your old life has died. You have been made alive with Christ. Your life, who you truly are, is hidden with him, eternally secure, and one day will appear with him in glory. That is who we are, Christians. Therefore, put to death what belongs to the earthly nature. It is not who we are, not anymore. It can be killed. It is strong language, put to death. It's not a play fight. This is a fight with sin, where there's kicking and scratching and gouging and anything that it takes to put to death sin. Because you have to know that sexual sin will try to put you to death. It will try and kill you. Paul says, put it to death. Fight. And I think that does mean... You can't fight alone. I was reading uh, this week uh, one pastor who said, if you want to overcome your sin, confess it to someone else. If you want to stay stuck in it, confess it only to God. Of course we confess sin to God, but do you see his point? If, If I only confess to God, very often, very often, very often, we'll stay stuck in sin, stuck in sin. Confess to someone else. Let them help you. Let them fight with you. Which can feel, again, can feel impossible. To speak to someone of things that are so personal, so painful, feel so shameful. What will they think of me? What will happen to my reputation? What will happen to the ministry areas I'm involved in? See what it says in verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Brothers, sisters, let it not be that we're more afraid of what someone thinks of us than of the Lord. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, and the rest. And friends, if someone comes to you this week and says, friend, we need to talk. Please don't let the first thing that you say to them be, okay, here's some strategies to fix this. Here's some, some things we'll avoid, some things will change, here's some rules. We, we heard at the end of chapter 2, it's here on this page, those kind of just imposing strict rules that might have an appearance of wisdom, but it lacks any value in restraining sensual indulgence. If someone comes to you this week, Will you help them set their mind and their heart on things above? Will you talk with them of Jesus and of who they are in him and of what they one day will be in him? Will you think together of the glory that it will be to be free from sexual immorality? And then will you pray with them? That that might be true increasingly, imperfectly, but increasingly in our lives today. And then you might want to talk about some practical things. But set your mind, set your hearts on things above. Your past sexual experience doesn't define you. Your present sexual sin doesn't define you. 
your future defines you. One day you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, sexual immorality. Let your future define your sex life. Then Paul will say, let your future define church life. Let your future define church life. It picks up in verse 8. And uh, this is the longest section. Uh, and as he talks about how we relate to each other, it starts with the tongue. It starts with how we speak of and to one another. Verse 8. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. It starts with the tongue, how we speak to one another, how we speak of one another. Again, I read this week a pastor who observed one act of adultery has never destroyed a church. It'll destroy lives and families, but it'll never destroy a church. But one piece of gossip that takes hold, that spreads, that can split a church very quickly. And so Paul starts with how we speak. It's a powerful thing. He says the the future that we have in Christ must transform it. And then he goes on, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I haven't said it dwell on here yet. Uh, when I was working for a church in London, and uh, particularly working with students, and as uh, new students would arrive and sort of be uh, around for just a few years and not have long to get stuck into a church, I got to, after a few years, I got to a point of saying to students, pretty much as I met them, I hope, if you decide to settle at this church, and then I hope that by the end of your three years, when you leave London, there'll be someone who's really hurt you. Nobody should be more surprised. Uh, I have to explain. It's, it's, not that I, it's not that I'm hoping you'll get hurt. But as you join a church, you, you really have two choices. You can sort of join, and you can make some friends, and you can be polite to people, and stay sort of slightly on the edges, and never quite commit yourself to anyone, never be vulnerable with anyone, never trust yourself to someone, never you put yourself in a position to be hurt. That's one choice. The other choice is you come and get stuck in. And you learn to depend on other people and trust them. And they know your secrets. And inevitably, if you're at a church for three years and that's what you're doing, well, the church is full of sinful people like you and me. And so inevitably, at some point, someone's going to hurt you. And that's what Paul assumes here, do you see? Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. Paul assumes that church life, that if... If you look around a room like this, and don't look around, it might be slightly awkward if you catch someone's eye at this particular point. But if you've been here a number of years, Paul assumes there are people that we will need to bear with because they irritate us. And because we're close enough and involved in one another's lives enough that the irritation irritates, that we don't keep each other's arm length. Paul assumes that we will need to forgive one another because we've been close enough and spent enough time together and trusted each other enough that that trust can be betrayed and we'll have hurt one another and need to forgive one another. Paul assumes that that is what church life will look like. 
And again, if you've been here a couple of weeks, I hope uh, that so far we haven't uh, done that to you. But if you've been here a while, are there people around who are in a position that they could hurt you because of the things you've told them, because of the things you've shared? Are there people who have and who you've forgiven? Paul assumes, I think, that's what church life will look like. Which again raises the question, why would you do that? Why not keep at arm's length, which is safer? Well, once again, of course, it's Christ who transforms the way we live as church. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, it is who we are in Christ that shapes the way we relate to one another, that allows us to trust one another, that allows us to forgive one another where we've been hurt. Because the people sat around you in this room, their life is hidden with Christ in God. One day they will appear with him in glory. That is who they are, as well as who you are. And so Paul would say, love one another, trust one another, forgive one another, when it comes to that. Let your future define sex life, church life, thirdly, family life. As we get to these pairs, uh, from verse 18 onwards, and once again, it is the Lord Jesus who is transforming the way that people are living. You just, you just see, uh, then in the references, verse 18, wives, submit yourself to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, verse 22, towards the end of that, with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Verse 23, as working for the Lord. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, uh, because you know you have a master, a Lord Jesus, in heaven. Knowing the Lord, knowing who we are in him, knowing who we will one day be revealed to be, that is what shapes family life. Now, we don't have time uh, to look at all of these pairs. Uh, you can ask questions uh, for next week. Come and chat with someone. Uh, we'll just think about the first one. Uh, because it's first, uh, because it's probably the one that's most open to uh, misunderstanding. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Three clarifications of what that doesn't say. It doesn't say women uh, be subject to men. Just, you know, any man who happens to turn up and feel a bit bossy today, you've got to do what they say. That's not what it says. It says wives, husbands. It doesn't say anything about uh, lots of things, about what the marriage will look like. It doesn't say who has the biggest salary. It doesn't say who does the dishes or runs the checkbook. There's lots of things this doesn't specify. And thirdly, this isn't a cover for abuse, for harm. Why, if a husband ever calls you to do something which is sinful or which is harmful, that's the time to say no. That's the time to cry to someone for help, someone that you trust. Paul assumes here, verse 19, that husbands will love their wives. This isn't a cover for abuse. 
What is it saying there? Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. There will be times in a marriage where husband and wife disagree as to what is best. Uh, We want to serve the Lord. We want to grow in Christ. But we disagree as to what's the best way to do that. Should we move here or there? Should we take this opportunity or that opportunity? Should we serve in this way or not? How many children? How much money to give? Husband and wife might disagree. And there'll be times when husband and wife disagree where they talk together and the husband persuades the wife that he was right and that's what they do. There'll be times when they talk together, the wife persuades the husband she was right and that's what they do. There'll be times where talk and listen and pray and chat with others and husband and wife disagree. I think that's the moment where Paul says, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. I trust his love for you, his desire to do what is right, his desire to serve the Lord, and submit and follow. Which to all of us, through human history, and especially in a culture like ours, can often feel like death. To submit to someone else, to shut down, when I'm sure that I'm right, to shove that away and to listen to someone else and follow them, it can feel like a death. It can feel like a denial of who I am. Paul says, no. Wives, submit yourself to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Paul says it is fitting in the Lord. Again, let your future define your family life. Because wives, and for every Christian, one day we will be with the Lord, we'll appear with him in glory, and for eternity we will joyfully, gladly submit to his leadership, loving his wisdom, loving his love for us, enjoying those things. And here wives have a chance to act that out, to enact that, to demonstrate it, to let that future filter back into today. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, none of that is to be an opportunity for brilliant, I get to have my way. None of it. Husbands, love your wives. When you're talking and when you disagree, be sure that what you're proposing, what you're suggesting, is what's best for her. What's best for the family, what's best for the Lord, not what you think is best for me. Husbands, love your wives. That means not leaving it all out on the field at work again and coming home and having nothing left for her. That means not letting the argument fester because you know she'll break first and she'll admit she was wrong. That means not using your strength or your words to hurt her ever. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Again, because that is who Jesus is. In Ephesians, in the parallel passage to this, Paul will say at more length, he'll say, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. If someone has to die, it's you. And not in a big dramatic gesture, but every day, every day, every day. 
my desire for what I want, my desire to be right, my desire to win, my desire to be left alone. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and do not be harsh with them. How do we change? Because all of us, in, when it comes to sex, when it comes to the way we relate in church, when it comes to family, there'll be deep-grained patterns. Some of them, by God's grace, for good. As the Spirit's been at work in us and transforming us and changing us and growing Christ in us. And some of them for ill. How do we change? Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Consider who you are. Consider what it will one day be when the Lord's people appear with him in glory and are free of sin, free to love. And then by his grace, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. I'm going to give us a couple of minutes now. I'd love it uh, if we could take one thing. There are so many uh, ideas, so many commands uh, in these verses. Could you choose one? That for whatever reason you think there, there especially, I would love to grow, to change. My experience this week, as I've lived with this chapter a little bit, has been some of these phrases can really get under your skin. And you find them coming out at the moments where you might not want them to, but in, in God's grace, it's a kindness. You're in the middle of a conversation, it's a love your wife, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. In the middle of something, put to death, oh yeah, okay. One of these phrases might just stick with you this week, you know, like one of those songs that you can't get out of your head. I might come to you at the moment you need it and remind you who you are in Christ, what it is to live for him. Well, you choose one. And for a couple of minutes, spend some time setting hearts and minds on things above. Imagining what will it be like one day when perfectly I embody this commandment. When perfectly I live like this. When perfectly I love like this. Spend some time setting your heart, setting your mind on that. Recognizing that is who you are if you're in Christ. It is our future that defines us. And so as we set our heart, as we set our mind, as we long that that would be true of us today, is what we can pray. Lord, let this be true in me. Grow it in me. For Christ's sake. Here's a couple of minutes. Ponder an area. Set your mind. Pray. Then I'll lead us in prayer uh, together in a couple of minutes. Our Father, we long for the day when we will appear with Christ in glory. For the day when there will be nothing left to put to death. For the day when there will be nothing left to forgive or bear with. Because we will appear as we are in Christ. 
fully mature in him. And Father, please would you keep before our eyes and our mind and our heart that day. Teach us to live in the light of it. Teach us to see ourselves for who we really are, not the me that I see in the mirror, but the me that is in Christ, hidden but alive. And so would you drive us in whatever areas we've been thinking about, praying about just now, would you drive us to put to death what belongs to the earthly nature, to put on love and Christ-likeness. Please help us to help one another, to trust one another where we need to do that. And please would you grant that Christ would be formed in us, that step by step we'd mature in him until the day when we appear with him in glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.